1: Hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope you're well. It is a sunny and bright warm afternoon here in good old Blighty and what a race that we had The Azerbaijan Grand Prix provided so many huge talking points and has played a huge part in shifting a potential outcome in the World Championship. But before we get into all that, just a casual reminder to you guys that we are the independent F1 podcast made by the fans and for the fans as we bring you race reviews, previews and all of the latest news, talking points and gossip in the world of Formula One. And we relay that back to you with a healthy bit of banter and discussion for your listening and viewing pleasure, depending, of course, on which platform. that you choose to follow us on. And joining me on this episode of the podcast, we have the core member of the DNF1 panel, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, looking in good spirits for those of you watching on YouTube. How are you? And if you can sum up what we just saw in Azerbaijan, well, what can we say really? It's a chaos all round, delight for Red Bull, nightmare for Ferrari, and plenty of other stories to talk about in the paddock.
0: Hello everyone. Yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Just like I say once again, Adam, you've nailed the intro. Proud of you for that. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna be honest, it was the third
1: time. And given that we've got our live stream, our first ever live podcast for the Canadian Grand Prix review next Sunday night, I'm really gonna have to get it down first time, otherwise the beloved followers that we have are certainly not gonna let me live that one down. So I'll promise I will get that right first time next time when we go live.
0: It's right, Adam, if that if it happens. Me and Lee or whoever's on will will help you out. It's right. It happens <laughs> to the best of us. Just just enjoy the F1 waffle we're about to go through. But yeah, I just feel that I've, I've finished disappointment in Ferrari because look, with with like obviously, I have my allegiances to Mercedes. They're not in. They're not in the running. And so then, if you think, you know what, as a neutral fan of the sport in general you want to be seeing a good championship battle and up until recently that like, I really really thought we was going to get that but Ferrari seems to have gone been going back to old ways and it's robbing us of a really good championship
1: battle. Yeah I couldn't agree more and you know obviously there's a lot riding on this and as a Ferrari fan myself there is a huge amount of disappointment for me when I was watching the race Really hoping that this could be the weekend that Ferrari could turn their fortunes around. Qualifying looked very, very good, especially if you're Charles Leclerc. But once again, owing to matters out of his control that the team have put on him. It's another huge disappointment for them. More points have gone to the wayside and into the laps of Red Bull. And fair play to Red Bull. They have absolutely lapped this up. They've produced one hell of a car on par with Ferrari. Perhaps a little bit better of a car in race pace compared to qualifying. But despite the early reliability issues that Red Bull were being questioned of, it's now shifted the other way in such a huge way. I mean, Mm -hmm. think back to the Australian Grand Prix. 46 points or something like that that Charles Leclerc had as an advantage on Max Verstappen and people were wondering if Max was going to get a chance to defend his title in a car that seemed to be blowing up or being equally fast one after the other. It's now completely flipped the other way in even more of an intense measure than what we saw earlier in the season and Ferrari are just throwing points away and it's got to this point now where we probably have to start asking if Ferrari can win either one of the two championships this season If I were well, from my perspective, Corney, I think the constructors championship could be gone now. It's literally a point now, can Charles Leclerc recapture that magic as he's been showing of late behind the wheel, but be able to finish the Grand Prix. But guys, as always, before we get into that discussion with a bit more depth, just to A cheeky little reminder for you guys if you do enjoy what we do of course it really helps us out if you like the video and subscribe to the show we did our qualifying live stream on saturday we did that with liam talks motorsport who was a great guest and of course you guys seem to enjoy that and we're going to be continuing to do that next weekend as well so make sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel of course if you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting platforms do not forget to give us a nice five-star review as i said before if you listen to us on spotify or a platform where you can't give us a review other than saying five stars do let us know screenshot it send it to us on our socials we'll give you a shout out on the next episode alternatively if you listen to us on apple podcast or itunes whatever you prefer to call it you can leave us a review make sure to write something down if you think we're worthy of five stars it really helps us out a lot and we'll give you a shout out on the next episode as a nice little thank you for that one now huge weekend this was corny a lot of build up to it a lot of uh, redemption was in the air for different reasons and different drivers alike. So, of course, only one was going to succeed. And once again, that went Red Bull's way. Max Verstappen, not massively impressive in qualifying, must be said. It seemed like he was struggling a little bit compared to his teammate. But on the Sunday, as Max Verstappen often does, he pulls it out of the bag. He puts in the performance, won relatively comfortably, not as comfortably as perhaps he would have thought, but certainly was a redemption drive from the cruel snatching away that he suffered last season owing oh, to that tyre blowout. So, overall, Corny, Max Verstappen increasing his lead now to his teammate Sergio Perez, who came second today, but more crucially, 25 extra points on his championship rival Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, who sadly scored at no points from another pole position. So, what can we say, taking away the fortune that Red Bull would have had from Ferrari's reliability woes, what can we say about the performance from Max Verstappen and Red Bull today?
0: It's what you expect to see from Max Verstappen. We've said this so many times, and obviously anybody who knows F1 does that sort of understand that they are just exceptional drivers from every generation. So, you know, if you have a look from, you know, Prime, Vettel, Alonso, Hamilton, now you're looking at the likes of Verstappen and Leclerc. They're just on that level where if they have, a one-off weekend, you find yourself asking loads of questions like "Where were in Monaco. Like, what exactly has happened to Max Verstappen? Because you expect that level of consistency from them. But you're right, it wasn't quite there in qualifying, but today, Max Verstappen was back in the imperialist form that we've seen all season. You know, it's quite daunting to think how far ahead Max Stappen would have been if it wasn't for the early issues that he had. You know, he had a couple of early DNFs in Bahrain and Australia. He could have been even further ahead. And, when you're, if you're in a race up against a Verstappen or a Hamilton, you need your car to be on point. Every single part of the car, and also the strategy, the pit stops, everything has to be at top level if you want to be beat, beating a driver like Max Verstappen over the course of the season. And we saw it last season with, with Mercedes. Mercedes had to rinse everything out of their car and their team to have that close battle between Lewis and Max throughout the season. And Ferrari aren't delivering that, but you can't take away from what, you know, Max and Red Bull are delivering because they really are, apart from the DRS issues that they're having, Red Bull seem to be the best of everybody at the
1: moment. Well, this is it. And there were a lot of questions being asked of Red Bull and Max Verstappen, and rightly so. You know, the reliability of the car wasn't there. The car looked quick. Um, you know, at, at times it was more favourable as a race car compared to the Ferrari but the Ferrari seemed to be bulletproof with no ailments whatsoever and a driver like Leclerc who looked like he'd upped his game and looked like a, a completely new driver a much more improved driver from the one before where we said had that moments of magic but just wasn't consistent enough to keep backing that up and since the Australian Grand Prix a couple of months ago where You and I, I remember this, you and I were discussing is this Leclerc's championship to lose? Have Ferrari got this in the bag already? Can Red Bull catch them or even finish races if they want to try and catch them? Since then, we've had Imola, we've had Miami, we've had Barcelona, we've had Monaco and we've had now Azerbaijan. Max Verstappen winning four of those races and a podium, still finishing ahead of Charles Leclerc in that race as well at Monaco and Ferrari have completely fallen to the wayside. Now... We talked about this as being a mixture of Ferrari's strategy mistakes, reliability issues, Leclerc's mistakes. It's now fallen to the latter two. But of course, we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. And it's just changed the dynamic of the championship now where it does feel we could already be asking this question or should we be asking this question that this championship already could look like it's Max Verstappen's to lose being that the closest driver that he has to him is his teammate, a driver who's more than happy at this point to play the team game.
0: Yeah, well, we we saw the radio message, didn't we, that, you know, don't fight. And, you know, I was expecting a little bit of more of a fight from Sergio Perez, given the upturn in form that he's had. And I think that actually just shows the other problem that Ferrari have is that they're coming up against a team that have 2 informed drivers. So it's going to be difficult to maximise any sort of like bringing, sort of repairing the damage if Max Verstappen has another off-weekend because they're going to be racing against a fast Sergio Perez. So, yeah, I think think if you're a Max fan or a a Red Bull fan, I I I just don't think things could be going any better for them right now, in all honesty.
1: I mean, that was an interesting point in the race. I was kind of hoping, because we were messaging each other throughout the race, as we often do, and I remember when I saw Max getting close to Checo and I thought, I'd love to see Checo battle his teammate here. At the moment... It literally was at that point after Charles Leclerc's retirement where it was literally just the two of them battling each other. And I thought, okay, let's see if Perez will fight against his teammate. And he didn't. The radio call came and said no fighting. Checo was quite happy to let Max go. But... In fairness to Max Verstappen, I think it must be said that he looked a lot more comfortable than Checo on those tyres. Checo took a lot of life out of his tyres. Despite a brilliant start to overtake Leclerc at the first corner, he did take a lot of life out of his tyres to stay ahead of the Ferrari. We thought at a time he was running away with it. Um, As it sort of came back to that opening stint, we started to see why Checo was struggling. So, in my mind... As much as it's easy to say, oh, here we go, Red Bull team orders again, I think we have to say, pay credit where credit is due to Red Bull and Verstappen and say, well, even without the team orders, Max Verstappen by the end of the race was a long way ahead of his teammate. And this was at a point where they were pretty much cruising. You know, they weren't really going too much. They knew they had a sizable advantage over George Russell in the Mercedes behind them. And Max was still able to pull out a huge deficit over his teammate. So for all intents and purposes, it's most likely that Max would have beaten Checo anyway. So Red Bull... Being the strategy geniuses that they are, just thought, well, there's no point trying to, you know, battle this out. We know how it's going to go down. We might as well just make this as easy as possible for both their drivers. And ultimately, that works because they end up getting a 1 2 and inflict the maximum damage on their rivals.
0: Yeah. And that's, I think, that's the, the frightening thing for, you know, for Ferrari fans in particular. I think any other team know that they're completely out of this race in terms of the constructors, at least. And uh, now Red Bull have. They've they've, got the car and they've also got the drivers because, you know, if you have looked for Red Bull for the last two years, they've only really had one driver on song, really. And now we've got a a happy Sergio Perez. It's going to be really, really difficult. Look, I wanted to see a a two way battle for the constructors and a four way battle for the championship, given that Mercedes, what's happening at Mercedes, I was hoping to see at least a two-way battle for both the Constructors and the uh, Drivers' Championship. But right now, uh, look, it's, it's supposed to be our job to sort of build up the hype for F1. But right now, you're right, Adam. It's really difficult to see anything other than the uh, Verstappen and Red Bull Championship win.
1: Yeah, it, it does seem that way at the moment. And look, I think a lot of us would agree that... Whilst ultimately to some it doesn't really matter who wins this world championship and ultimately for me obviously I would love to see a Ferrari driver win the world championship I'm not going to lie about that I'm sure there are a lot of people that would like to see um, Max Verstappen win the world championship again you know it's all fine and well which camp you stake your interest in but nobody won't nobody wants to see the championship end as soon as it all get to the point where we're talking about is can anyone stop Max Verstappen In the same way that we were talking about it with Charles Leclerc at the Australian Grand Prix, I'm sure a lot of people didn't, Mm. as much as people would have wanted Ferrari to win the World Championship or Leclerc, for example, I don't think anybody would have appreciated us talking about if the championship was still up for grabs after three or four races. You know, it's crazy. You wouldn't really talk about that normally. But this is a situation we find ourselves in. And I feel like, unlike Ferrari, Red Bull have ironed out their issues already. That have been plaguing them and they have a driver in Max Verstappen right now that is driving ability wise we can argue to the same level as Leclerc if not a little bit higher at certain points in terms of pace over the race distance but you can also argue the consistency is there and it's going to take something special to beat Max Verstappen I can't see Max Verstappen throwing away points like Leclerc did at Imola I can't see the reliability issues playing Red Bull as as they did early in the season and in the same way they're playing in Ferrari right now. I just can't see that. So it's going to take something incredible for Ferrari and, and Charles Leclerc in particular to overturn what Max Verstappen and Red Bull are doing right now. So as I said, I, I don't want to call this one right now, but it's looking increasingly more difficult. We go from race to race at the moment saying Leclerc and Ferrari need to respond. And the pace is there on the Saturday. But on the Sunday, it just finds newer ways to fall apart. And this one was probably the most painful and dramatic of the lot.
0: Yeah, it's, and it's, it just seems to be various things. So, you know, you had the issue in Barcelona, and then you had the strategy call in Monaco, and now you've got like another full blown engine problem. And it's, it's going to be. Sorry, Adam and Ferrari fans, but it's it's going to be double-paying because you're going to be having the engine penalties towards the end of the season, and then we're going to be having a lot of issues. I, I think we, we we forget about this. I think we're going to have a lot of issues towards the end of the season with this cost-cap business. So development's going to become a bit of an issue as well. So it's, I'm looking at the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes even more so. If they want to be getting into a championship battle, Any kind they really need to be up in their game soon because we could be getting towards the summer break where we all would already be thinking about where these teams are going to be in 2023 and just sort of have 2022 as a full blown conclusion. And look, any fan of F1, doesn't matter even if you do have your favorites, obviously, if you're a Red Bull or Max Stappen fan, you're going to be wanting them to win the championship. But deep down, if you're a, a fan of racing. Do you want to be seeing the championship go to at least the last few races of the season?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about a key moment in the race for me. Not necessarily uh, one that really played an impact, but I, I, it was a radio message from Max Verstappen's engineer. And Max was complaining about, um, one, he wanted to go for the fastest lap. at a certain. I think it was like two thirds of the race and he was on the harder tyres. The race was in the bag. All he had to do was bring it home. Max Verstappen doesn't really like to just sit there and coast and bring it home. He wants to try and have everything and and that's a testament to the racer and the great champion that he is. You know, it's, it's crazy that you look at the stats and they're there. He's certainly proven his metal in that regard and it's quite scary to think of what he could go on and achieve. But as I said, just a testament to how good Max Verstappen is in a Formula One car. He was going on about wanting to go at a certain speed to try and get the fastest lap and then you had his race engineer and sorry i can't remember his name i know crofty mentioned it a few times but it was a brilliant radio call where he said to him look max we just need you to do one minute 48 when max was in the mid 147s trying to go for a time in the 46s that that he tried to do later on and he said to him just got to try and bring this home let's not take anything for granted you of all people Know what it's like to be leading a race round here and have it cruelly taken away from you when you're pushing, referring to obviously the big tire blowout that he had last season. So I personally thought that was brilliant. Race management from an engineer trying to, if you like, rein in a wild horse or reining someone that's got all that power and all that speed and everything else that comes with it in Max Verstappen and just making just reminding him: look, Max, we know you've got this race in the bag, we know that you're fast. I know you want that extra point for the championship, but just bring the car home. And look, last season, how many times did Max Verstappen have an issue or something that went wrong that wasn't always necessarily his fault or where he was a bit too aggressive and it cost him points to the point where people are still to this day arguing that whether or not Max's World Championship was legitimate owing to the controversial circumstances. You know, if Max had done certain things or had a bit of better fortune at certain races last year, where he would have got the points that he should have done, we wouldn't be having that conversation. He would have won the world championship long before he did. So it's that kind of mindset from Red Bull in particular that I think complements a driver of Max's capabilities so well to the point where he doesn't have to rack his brain about doing the smart thing. Like what Alain Prost would have done in the past or Severo or Michael Schumacher or stuff like that. You don't need to do that. You've got the race engineer to remind you of that. And I think that's such a great dynamic that people don't often appreciate. Perhaps in a different way other than what we see in the norm which is when sir lewis had that with bono that that kind of relationship
0: yeah again you're right it's something that's sort of it isn't appreciated enough you know just actually like how much of a job that the race engineers have to actually rein these guys in because you've got them they just want to go as fast as possible because they're so ultra competitive they're not only competing against other drivers; they're competing against themselves. They want to be setting a new standard. They want to be setting new records. And I think Max Stappen will be going. Max Stappen if he go continues to go in the right direction, he will be challenging Lewis's records. I feel if, if no one else, if if other teams and other drivers those sort their, you know, sort themselves out in the coming years. That is because right now it's looking almost too easy for Max Verstappen. So. I feel that right now the the only person that can meet that can beat Max Verstappen is himself, and I feel that his engineer is aware of that because Max does have a does have a history of you know getting hot tempered. You no, know, we saw it in Spain. He does. I think Max's biggest biggest weakness is his temper. So right now, given that you've got Ferrari going up in smoke, you've got Mercedes sort of rattling around sort of having their spines dislocated by how much this car rattles it's all too easy for Red Bull they can they can afford the coast we don't you know what again I'm sure Red Bull Max Verstappen fans are loving it but you know in terms of racing come on guys sort yourselves out
1: yeah very very true and uh and this is coming from a period of dominance that Mercedes had where this sort of dynamic would have existed as well. The same thing as Red Bull with Seb Vettel. Uh, and mm-hmm. quite interestingly now, we should talk about that whilst we're on onto Seb Vettel, uh, Is Red Bull time, that now Max Verstappen has already overtaken the m- number of podiums that Sebastian Vettel got at Red, at Red Bull himself, which is an incredible achievement, you know, uh, considering how long he's been at the team for, his age as well. And now it's 25 victories for Max Verstappen. He certainly is on his way. At this rate, and of course, we're assuming a lot here and we're predicting a lot. And I'm pretty sure at the same point of his career, nobody was foreseeing Lewis Hamilton going on to emulate and even surpass the records of one Michael Schumacher back at the same time. But given what we've seen since and the era of dominance that we often get in Formula One when these regulation changes happen, there's absolutely no reason why Max Verstappen doesn't have the desire and the hunger and the talent to go and try and do something similar in his own career.
0: Yeah, like, as I say, like, if you don't, if the other teams don't sort themselves out, I'm, I'm sure there will be other drivers like George Russell, Lando Norris, for example, and some of drivers may be coming through from F2, but they rely on the teams to be up in the game. And it, it just seems that I had hoping in Ferrari. Look, it, it could change. Ferrari could turn it around. But Mercedes in particular, I, I thought that was going to be sorting out the porpoising issues. It doesn't seem to be happening. And it is, like, I, I, I do feel a sense of, as, as a neutral fan, I just feel a sense of disappointment because there seemed to be so much encouragement, particularly from Ferrari, but right now they're not delivering.
1: Yeah, very much so. What did we make of Perez's day overall? Because the weekend was, I think, was a good weekend for Perez. Obviously qualified in the front row, out his teammate. Through practice sessions and qualifying, he seemed to have the advantage on his teammate In the race in the early stages, he got a great start, got ahead of Charles Leclerc, scampered away at the front, although he did get pulled back towards the end of that stint. Seemed to be having tyre issues, which is uncharacteristic of Perez. Mm -hmm. He's usually better at looking after his tyres than that. Um, But by his own admission, he himself felt that this was the best result that he could have got today. And he just didn't have the pace to match his teammate because of how he managed the tyres. So overall, how would you rate Perez's day?
0: I still think he'd done really well. Over the weekend, and I, I, th- I think for me, it's more of a testament to how well Max Verstappen was driving this weekend. I don't, th- I don't think Sergio Perez drove terribly, but again, it's just that that little bit of stardust that the likes of Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton have. This, I think, this, this, this uh, race result for the Red Bull, like within the team, I think that was more to do with how well Max Verstappen drove rather than how badly Sergio Perez did.
1: I yeah I can agree to that sorry I pressed a mute button by accident on that one um it's it's one of those with Ferrari right now and we're going to move on to Ferrari with mm-hmm. a nice little segue into this that you do have drivers with that little bit of stardust, and we've seen from Leclerc, particularly this season, and let's, let's not kid ourselves, the qualifying lap that he put in yesterday was absolutely unbelievable. I don't think anybody really thought that whilst Ferrari was certainly in the game for pole position, Red Bull looked the clear favourites. So it looked like they had a tenth or 2 particularly at that back straight on Ferrari, but the middle sector from Leclerc, people... People were making jokes, even smf one journalists, who so I'm not going to name on here. It was a little bit embarrassing and strange, but, you know, we've made jokes at other drivers expense ourselves, but we don't get paid to be impartial, so we're fine with that. Um, not that it's okay, but never mind that. We had journalists making fun of Charles Leclerc crashing into barriers, particularly in Baku a couple of years ago, into turn eight, where you're the old I am stupid. And the commitment that he put through that middle sector was unbelievable. It was like the most tiniest mistake would force him into the barriers and he'd be out and we'd be having an I'm stupid part two but he held it all together the car was literally on rails while he was under control and he found half a second in qualifying on everybody and and that was enough to get him on pole position it was absolutely incredible people were making comparisons to Gilles Villeneuve that kind of driver characteristic which is a massive compliment for the right reasons there are obviously certain circumstances where that may not necessarily be a compliment owing to the lack of championships and race wins in Gilles Villeneuve's career despite his incredible pace we're seeing that with Charles Leclerc at the moment but I don't think it would be fair for us to look at this current situation that he finds himself in with Ferrari and say that he is not doing enough to win these races or convert these pole positions into wins. He's now got more pole positions in his career than Max Verstappen. Yet the scary stat is Max Verstappen has won more races when Charles Leclerc has been on pole position than Charles Leclerc has. So what can we say right now? What's going on at Ferrari corner? Because clearly when we were talking before, it was either Leclerc making mistakes or Ferrari messing up strategy or reliability issues. It's now the Ferrari. It's now on the team. Leclerc's doing everything he can, but the team, yeah. one way or another, are just letting him down.
0: Yeah, it's so over the course of the weekend, almost flawless from Leclerc. Even the race start, despite making a mistake, he actually did really well to save that, because that could have been, you know, we saw last season with Lewis Hamilton with the whole, the magic button set up, where he just went off and he ended up right at the back of the grid. That's so easy could have happened with Charles Leclerc, but he actually did really well to save that, to stay in second position. He was doing a good job defending against Max. I I, I thought he set up the car nicely to continue that trend. And then once again, Ferrari have let themselves and Charles Leclerc down. I'm going to be completely honest with you, Adam. When I saw the footage of a car moving slowly, I saw a tinder red. I thought right away, that's a Ferrari because you're almost expecting it to happen now. They're having so many problems. You look at the beginning of the season, it was like when you saw like a Red Bull slam down, it wasn't a surprise. But now we're seeing a complete turnover. And if you see a problem, you're expecting it to be either a Ferrari or a Ferrari-powered car. And it just seems to be an issue where they've, they've, we saw a Red Bull and now with Ferrari, they've got so much pace but they don't seem to have the reliability. Whereas you look at Mercedes, yes, they're slower and they've got the problems with the the, the quality, shall we say, the, the enjoyment factor for the drivers. But the Mercedes seems to have a very reliable car. You have a look at George Russell finishing in the points every single race. And it just seems that, and it does happen a lot with teams. You see it throughout F1 history. You're trying to find that pace but you're sacrificing reliability. And I just get the feeling that Ferrari come out of the block so fast in 2022. And we always ask that question, are Ferrari going to be able to sustain that title challenge against Red Bull? I just feel that Red Bull, because of the experiences they had last season, I just feel that Red Bull are more of a sort of finished article in this era of F1, whereas they've been able to sort out their issues whilst picking up the speed. whereas. Ferrari seems to like found that sort of limit of pace and reliability. So we say if you bring both together, it seems that Ferrari have hit that limit where Red Bulls are still able to eke out more pace and not sort of affect the reliability whilst doing so. The only thing you can sort of say Red Bull right now is the DRS issue with the with the rear wing. Other than that, they're looking flawless.
1: Well, I mean, we were talking about this throughout the race and it's quite funny because Ferrari went for the strategy gamble. When we had the first VSC of the race, uh, owing to, what was it, Carlos Sainz's um, retirement that caused yeah. it. And we'll, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. But that created a scenario where Ferrari took a gamble on strategy. And I actually said during the live stream that if we get an early safety car, virtual safety car, we may see a team take a gamble on strategy, which could put them onto a one-stopper and go later on the race. And Ferrari did that with Leclerc. They put him onto the harder tyres. He went early, managed to buy himself about 10 seconds, which would have put him into the net lead of the race, which ultimately it did. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm thinking, okay, they've taken a gamble on this. It may not have been the right decision because we know how the hard tyres would wear in in the heat a bit quicker. And we thought Max Verstappen may catch Leclerc at some point. What do Ferrari do? Do they put Leclerc. Um, onto another pit stop and have those fresh mediums that Ferrari were looking after because, remember, Ferrari had two sets of fresh mediums for their drivers. Red Bull only had two sets of fresh hards. They didn't have any fresh mediums to fight at the end of the race with. So it looks more and more likely that depending on how the race was going to go, Ferrari were going to try and put Leclerc onto a fresh set of mediums on a two-stopper and then catch Verstappen and, and Perez at the end on much fresher and softer rubber when the track cooled down, which would have been perfect for them. And also the potential of another safety car and a virtual safety car and we actually got that later mm-hmm. on in the race when we had that issue with um oh, i was trying to, when we had that issue with uh oh, i trying to remember who it was magnuson. magnuson yes thank you when magnuson pulled up another ferrari powered car and we'll get into that a bit later on as well and um that created a scenario where i thought that is the window right there that if leclerc was still in the lead of this race where well, he would have pitted put on the mediums, get a cheap pit stop, and he's right on the two Red Bulls who were sitting ducks because they couldn't do one thing or the other. If they'd have pitted as well, they'd have been on fresh hards. Leclerc would have had the better rubber and would have just scampered away. If they'd have stayed out, they'd have been on the old harder tyres and Leclerc would probably would have got him there. And we saw the straight line speed of the Ferrari. That was able to keep up with the Red Bulls. I'm convinced, and, and as I said, I'm absolutely convinced if Leclerc was still in that race, he could have won today. It all played out in a way that would have worked for him to win that race today. And it's just so cruel and painful for it to com- completely capitulate the way that it did. Um, I mean, I got a quote from Charles here where he said, it's hard to find the words, it hurts, I lost power. I don't know what happened. I did not talk to anyone yet to know more. I'll try my best to win the next one. The motivation will stay the same. No problem with that. But yeah, it hurts. And, you know, we've now gone from Barcelona. We had the issue at the, at the power issue Monaco the strategy issue which cost in the race win on that one the Ferrari made the mistake and now another power unit issue and I've got an interesting quote if I can find it from Mattia Bonotto when he was talking about this and I haven't got the quote with me unfortunately that's a bit embarrassing I'm going to paraphrase from what I read from Mattia mm-hmm. Bonotto but he basically had an interview with BBC and he was talking about the pressure that's being put on Ferrari and The way he described it, he was making it out saying that the objectives that we had with this car was to be competitive, not necessarily meaning to win the World Championship. If we do, that's a nice bonus, but we have to be competitive. Now, I'm not putting this on Benotto, Courtney, but it feels right now that serious questions need to be asked at Ferrari about what is going on because they have a car that is fundamentally brilliant and one that is capable of winning this World Championship. You could argue to some degree all round the best car on the grid. But for one reason or another, they are letting both of their drivers down. Not just Leclerc, signs as well. And it's costing them vital points because every time that they drop points, who's there to pick them up? Red Bull, Max Verstappen, Mm -hmm. Sergio Perez. And they're doing it time and time and time again to the point where Ferrari's closest challengers right now are Mercedes and George Russell. And that would have been a nice thought if someone told me that last season. Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, great, bring it on. But in this manner... Absolutely not. So, rant aside, and I, I bear monologue for quite a bit here. What do you think Ferrari need to do to try and turn this around now for the, for both their drivers? Because right now it feels like they're the only team that has any chance of beating Red Bull, but they're the arch- straight, they're the architects of their own downfall right now.
0: Well, it's I just I have a funny feeling that maybe. I oh, look, I really hope I'm wrong, Adam. I really, really hope I'm wrong. But I was one of the people to ask this question at the beginning of the season, as I said a few minutes ago. Do Ferrari have the ability to keep up this title challenge with it, whether it be the development, whether it be the engine side? And right now, I'm not too sure. I, it just seems that ever since Barcelona, when they... Uh, bought in the uh, the engine upgrade, where that's going to really show like the full pace of the car. This is when we started to be like, having the reliability issues because at the beginning of the season when um, uh, when Ferrari seemed to be bulletproof, there was always talking, a Red Bull had the faster engine, but Ferrari have this upgrade along the way where they're going to be able to showcase like the full potential of the car. Ever since they've done that, this is when we've been seeing these, these issues sort of, you know, come into play. So Ferrari need to figure out exactly what's called is, called is causing the issues with the car. Maybe the are solutions, maybe they could do upgrades with the call-ins, things like that that put a strain on the car. Let's not forget that Baku is, is a circuit that it was always going to be harsh on the uh, reliability of the car. But we're going into two circuits now in... Uh, Canada, and Silverstone are both power-sensitive circuits. So Ferrari need to be thinking the solutions fast, or they're going to find themselves being even further behind. But they do need to find these solutions fast, because right now, it's way too easy for Red Bull, and I don't know. I'm hoping that there are easy fixes to it, but usually with the engines, unless it's something to do with the cooling, it's very, very difficult because we've got so many limitations, whether it be with engine upgrades, whether it be the cost cap. It's going to be harder and harder. You know, we've been saying this about Mercedes. It's not like Ferrari and Mercedes could just throw money at this. We're not in that age anymore. So it's going to be really, really tough. Again, if it's not down to calling, it's really difficult for Ferrari, I to maintain the challenge against Red Bull right now.
1: Yeah, and further to mention on that point, Courtney, engine development is frozen as well. Obviously the electronics we can still do that up until September, but ultimately for performance engine development is frozen until 2026 when the new engine regs come out. So you're quite limited on what you can actually do for reliability as well, and that's going to be a problem for Ferrari. You know, they've got a great car, ultimately one of the top 2 cars on the grid and by some margin. It must be said, I mean qualifying was a real eye opener in the race today where Red Bull and Ferrari were in a different league to anybody else. That Even George Russell was saying like P5 was the best because they had no chance of catching Ferrari or Red Bull. It was amazing how far ahead that they've gone. They've got further ahead of the competition with all these upgrades. That's been the scary thought. You know, they're meant to try and close them up. They've got further ahead. So, you know, with those opportunities being wasted by Ferrari, we had four retirements from Ferrari-powered cars. At least three of them were owing to power unit issues. Not quite sure what the fourth one is, but that could be something quite similar. It's not a good look for Ferrari. It's uh, one of those right now where, as I said before, it's one of those where you've got that sort of Jill Villeneuve element to it, where it looks incredibly fast. But, you know, in order to finish first, first you've got to finish. You know, the old Michael Schumacher saying, and right now Ferrari are just not doing that for their drivers and they're throwing points away. And I can't imagine how intense the pressure must be at Marinello. But whether Benotto thinks that just being competitive is enough, I don't think the senior figureheads at Ferrari will agree I don't even think he believes that. I think he genuinely believes that this is a car that could win the world championship, and I still think it is, but right now, th- those opportunities are being thrown away way too often, and that's getting much harder to do with every race gone by. But look, we'll, we'll move on to Carlos Sainz, and we're not going to talk too much about what's going on because his race was massively hampered by his early retirement. Something broke on the car. Hydraulics issue, they claim it was, or a brake by a wire issue, so perhaps a different situation altogether to the power unit. But, um... He seemed to be a little bit off the pace this weekend. He was there for a time, but when push came to shove at Q3, uh, he was on pole provisionally, and then he just never seemed to improve. Made mistake in the first sector that cost him, and then in the race, the uh, Perez, Verstappen, and Leclerc were scampering away from him, and he just couldn't keep up until his retirement. So, I mean, right now it's it's despite the reliability issues, Carlos Sainz is is really struggling compared to his teammates to sort of get the most out of this uh, new Ferrari.
0: I think his confidence has taken such a knock. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, how much bad luck Charles Leclerc has had. But I can't think for the life of me, I can't remember the last time Carlos Sainz actually had a clean race without any kind of incident, whether it be his, his fault or the team's fault. I cannot remember the last time Carlos Sainz had a clean race. And come on, when you're racing a Formula 1 car and, you know, the, the, the slightest difference in mentality can make a real difference. I just think we're looking now at a guy that's just got his, his confidence completely shot, right? Everything is, has happened. Yeah. He knows he yeah. has a fast car and he's still yet to win a race. He has a car that is that fast, but he's still yet to win a race. So I think any kind of frustrations that um, Charles Leclerc is feeling, I reckon Carlos Sainz is feeling that like even more.
1: And he hasn't even looked like he's close to winning a Grand mm-hmm. Prix either. I mean, granted, you could argue a quality-wise of the four drivers or talent-wise, he's the fourth out of the four. But that's not saying that he's not in a position where he can't be competitive against him. And I mean, his consistency was brilliant last year and he was picking up the pieces, something that in certain races this season would have been invaluable to Ferrari and probably would have given him a win. I'm, I'm absolutely adamant that if he didn't make those mistakes earlier on in the Spanish Grand Prix, he'd have won that race. It just seemed to fall to place for Carlos Sainz to win that Grand Prix, but ultimately his own mistakes and perhaps overdriving by his own admission It just didn't really work out for him. So as well as Ferrari need to get their act together for the team, Carlos Sainz needs to find a way to move away from just being the consistent guy, although at the moment he's not really living up to that, but trying to find the performance of that car in the way that his teammate has done, Verstappen has done at Red Bull for so many years, and now Checo Perez is doing for Red Bull this season as well. So for his sake, I certainly hope that that happens because Ferrari need him. Perhaps the Constructors' Championship is it's very slim pickings right now for Ferrari, but they need both their drivers on it. And right now it's just Leclerc doing what he can. And if it is magic, fair enough, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how that goes for the rest of the season. Let's move on to Mercedes because we've talked a lot about Red Bull and Ferrari. I think like nearly 40 minutes of this has been about them two. So we're going to move on <laughs> to someone else. Our fans breathing a sigh of relief over that one. Mercedes, a lot of good and some bad, but overall, if you offered them third and fourth this weekend, They'd have absolutely bitten your arm off for that one. So how can we judge their weekend, Cornia? I'd say overall, a pretty good one.
0: Yeah. So George Russell, once again, fantastic. Absolutely getting the best out of the car. And once again, Lewis is doing this. He's doing the exact same thing. And... I'm, I'm so pleased that like, Lewis is actually getting the opportunity to explain exactly what's happening at the team because I've said this before on the podcast and I don't understand how sound like I'm repeating myself. There's been so much sort of negative attention on Lewis because he, he's been performing. He hasn't been getting the results quite as well as George Russell has. But it's because Lewis is experimenting with this car and we saw in a race with how aggressive... The in sinners and the the, the impact that had on his body today—it was actually uncomfortable to see at the end of the race. It just shows how desperate Lewis is to get the team back to where he believes it should be, and it can be. But I just think, yeah, it just shows exactly where Mercedes are. You know, they've got they've got the potential, but it just seems that we it just seems that they're so far away from it. Because I thought in Spain, I thought right, they'd made a step closer. I thought, well, I might just carry on chipping away at Red Bull and Ferrari. But I'm really, really am open that this was down to the street circuit specifics of Baku and Monaco. I'm really open that come Canada and Silverstone, they'll be closer again. Because if they're not closer at those circuits, because they're traditional circuits that Mercedes do really well at. If they find themselves struggling with a porpoising... That is a fundamental issue with that car. And I feel that if they don't do well there, that's when I have to start looking at 2023. Because it it's it's obvious that Mercedes have become victim of what we're seeing with, you know, with Red Bull in the past, Ferrari, McLaren, where with a big regulation change, the dominance team are obviously hit the hardest. We expected it to happen, but It seems that they've slipped away and it's really uncharacteristic for Mercedes. And it goes on a bit. Then you look at the other part of it, which is a porpoising issue and a safety aspect of it. And I'm sure that's a debate that we've seen going on a lot with, you know, within the F1 fan base. There are calls for there to be like rules changed to stop the porpoising in that Mercedes. But that comes down to that whole debate. Are you going to sort of help Mercedes in a way by changing the porpoison rules, because I have no doubt in my mind that if Mercedes were to sort out the porpoison, they'd be a lot closer to Ferrari and Red Bull. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. So if you to change the porpoison rules, the likes of Ferrari and Red Bull would have every reason to be upset about that.
1: Well, they were a lot closer to them in Spain. I don't think they were as close as some people were making out that they were, because there were a lot no. of mitigating circumstances for it, but they were... Clearly ahead of the midfield and a lot closer to the lead too. I mean, they're comfortable, they are the third fastest car. Not as comfortable okay. in the last two races as, they, as Barcelona suggested, and maybe a more permanent circuits. So, you know, we've gone to two street circuits since Barcelona, so we can't really judge it in the same way that we would do when they go to the likes of Canada, or that's a street circuit in its own right as well to a degree. So more like Silverstone. Um, uh, you know a few other circuits like that I think that's going to be a really good track for them by the way but we'll talk about that in a few weeks time when we go to Silverstone but there is a good point to be made on the porpoison and and of course we'll focus on the Mercedes result in a bit but there is that debate right now should the FIA get involved and actually introduce certain mandates to enforce for the entire grid to compensate for porpoison until a more structured solution is found which all the teams can adopt, and this is quite, this is quite a difficult issue because we saw some very, very difficult images. to Well, not difficult, but we saw some very strange images today following the race where Lewis Hamilton, all the adrenaline sapped on him. Bearing in mind this, this guy's in incredible shape. He eats incredibly well, being a vegan, of course, and but he's 37 years old, and that's not old for a professional athlete like Lewis. But seeing him struggle to get out of that mm-hmm. car and complaining that he was really struggling with back pain and how intense the porpoising was on his car, it does make for some uncomfortable yet powerful viewing, and that more than anything else could be a sign that the FIA might need to get involved on this one, and we saw Toto Wolf also coming out talking to Sky F1 and saying all of the drivers had a chat with um, George Russell, who was the head of the Drivers Association, and all of them but one agreed that something should be done about the porpoising. Fernando Alonso was the driver that disagreed not to single him out or imply that he's not thinking straight or anything like that. Of course, you know, I don't believe that's what Fernando's thinking at all. But I think that's coming from the logic that a lot of teams, I think all the teams have porpoising to certain levels and some of them are handling them a lot better than others. I mean, we saw Ferrari on this similar scale to Mercedes, fairly intense porpoising, but the car just seems to handle it better. I mean, Charles Leclerc is not bothered by it. Carlos Sainz is a little bit more bothered by it. But the Mercedes is a completely different beast altogether. Something that we thought that, um, that they'd improved or solved mm-hmm. in Barcelona. But it seems to be a case where Mercedes will add more go-faster bits of the car, will go to a different circuit, and it's triggering those issues again. So it raises the issue, should the cars be mandated to be above a certain ride height? And whilst we're not the people to answer that question, Courtney... There is that trade-off that if you raise the ride height for some cars, it will affect performance. Total Wolf was coming at this saying that this will affect Mercedes as well. There's no reason to suggest that this will improve the performance of our car relative to others, but I do feel that there is always going to be a case to be argued that other cars will be affected more by this than others will. Lando Norris said, look, we could run the McLaren lower if we wanted to for performance, but we've got that trade-off to make it a more comfortable ride and more consistent. Uh, whereas Ricardo was saying it was a bit more uncomfortable. So where do you stand on this? Is it something that the FIA should enforce at this point to try and make it better for the drivers as a whole with the risk of affecting performance for some cars more than others? Or do you think they should hold a stance with Mercedes in the same way that some drivers have mentioned and other teams looking at this issue with Mercedes and say, well, look, we're all dealing with this porpoise You guys just need to run the car a little bit higher to the ground because... Right now, you're the ones compromising your own drivers. And we have seen in the past when Mercedes have run higher on the ride height, the Business has been mitigated to a degree, but it has cost them a lot of performance in the same time.
0: Yeah, well that's, I, I do feel it might have to come down to a vote within the teams because you have got that real conflict of interest. You, you have got... The fact that every single driver other than Fernando Alonso is, has obviously agreed there is an issue here does say a lot. But they raised the competition aspect to it. Because, as I said before, Adam, you've seen Ferrari, for example, they have the aggressive porpoise. You've said it yourself, they have the aggressive porpoise, but they're able to get the performance out of the car. There is clearly quite a correlation between the porpoise having an effect on the performance of the Mercedes. I do get a strong suspicion that if the porpoise was mitigated, Mercedes could find themselves a lot closer to Red Bull and Ferrari. And, you know, uh, hypothetically speaking, there is a chance that if the ride heart was changed on the Red Bull and the Ferrari, that might peg them back. So I I do believe there is a little bit of politics in it, whereas if Mercedes obviously going to call for the FIA to find a way to figure the porpoise in, because obviously that's going to benefit Mercedes. But on the flip side of it, It's not like Lewis Hamilton is acting, is it? Like, he's clearly, clearly suffering. I mean, suffering in that that, car.
1: That is right. And, look, I I remember watching it and I thought to myself, look, I am, I try to be very open-minded about these things. And I do not believe for one second that Lewis Hamilton is putting on a show to -hmm. try and force the FIA to take retrospective action and do something that would not just help them physically. You know, of course, health and safety should be the priority in this of any decision that's made. But sometimes from a competitive perspective, trying to get the word out there, Lewis is very, very good at being able to deal with the politics and influence change for the better um, in the sport. And also, you know, come at certain things with an idea of how to improve things from his team's perspective. You know, he's very good at that. They all are, to certain degrees. I mean, all the greats have been great like that, although this is a very unique situation. That said, I don't believe for a second that Lewis, when he was struggling to get out of the car, and it was really slow, and that would worry a lot of people that would put him in a scenario where if he was in danger and needed to get out of that car quickly and he wasn't able to because of what the car had done to him, that's where you start thinking. That's where your mind goes with that, thinking, oh, what if he'd had a bad crash or what if he had to get out of that car? That's not a good look. So... I don't believe for a second that Lewis is putting on a show. But as I said, you know, performance is a factor in this. And if it was a health and safety issue, it'd be completely... No performance was affected as a result of which way they went down. It'd be an obvious decision to make. They'd make everybody ride... uh, Raise the ride height of the cars um, to mitigate this. We should also mention that Fernando Alonso, whilst he was the only driver calling to Toto Wolff that disagreed that a solution should be found on this or action should be taken, he did go on to say Alonso with this car and the porpoising that he suffered in the car, that it is the worst ride quality he has had in 20 years of driving in Formula One. And I think that also is a testament to the fact that he's not happy with this either, even if he disagrees with taking action. So there's a lot to be said on this. I feel like there's going to be some action sooner rather than later. I'm not sure what the right decision is to make on this one, but I feel like something needs to be done to try and protect the driver's health more than anything else. Long-term effects... Um, of driving around for an hour and a half of a car that's bouncing like crazy at 200 miles an hour is not good. And of course, it creates the danger for accidents as well, as we see, saw in Bahrain. If you remember, the Mercedes had issues with the front end because of the porpoising. It could happen to someone else.
0: You know what? This this is one of the debates where I'd really love to see anyone listening get involved in the comments, in because I'm actually genuinely intrigued to see what people think of it, because Look, if you're a Lewis Hamilton hater, for example, you're going to be loving the fact that the Sadies are struggling and you're going to want to be keeping it that way. But the guy's genuinely struggling physically. But then the flip side to it is, again, you've got the whole thing. Other teams have, you know, had to affect their performance in order to make their drivers more comfortable. So I really want to be seeing in the comments, guys. What exactly, where, where exactly do you, do you stand on it? Because I, I really am, I'm going to be honest, despite having my allegiances to Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, I'm not going to lie, I have splinters on my backside in on this one. I, I really, really am firmly on the fence of on this one. So I want to see feedback on this, so I really do.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. yeah, I think it is quite interesting that Lewis is a very polarising driver in that regard and how certain people see him and how certain people judge these situations based on the fact that he's involved. I mean, mm-hmm. if it was any other driver on the grid, perhaps with the exception of... Well, let actually, no, let's not say any other driver on the grid because there are a few that have that sort of equal influence to a certain degree. Let's say it was someone like Pierre Gasly, a driver that everybody likes for one reason or another. No one really has an axe to grind with Pierre Gasly in Formula 1 at the moment. So if he was having those issues, and he is high-profile enough, in my opinion, where this would be an issue, perhaps action would be taken with a bit more open-mindedness, that there's not about performance or it's not about someone trying to play games with EFI or anything like that. Not that they're saying that Lewis does or Max does or anybody in that regard, but I feel like it depends on who is actually suffering. And because it's Lewis that's suffering... I feel like it's very easy for some people to look at that and think, oh, well, it's just Lewis trying to play games or Lewis doing that. I don't think that's happening. But I do feel that driving that Mercedes right now, and George Russell has been complaining about these issues as well. I saw George Russell holding holding his lower back and George Russell, what is he, 23? Mm-hmm. You know, and he looks like he's in great shape and everything else. So you've got to take that into account as well. But look, Get it in the comments, guys. I want to hear your opinions. When you do comment, do please try to keep an open mind. We're not trying to say, oh, because it's Lewis or because it's this or because it's Mercedes trying to play games. We're not saying that. We just want to know from a health and safety perspective only, do you think the FIA should introduce or mandate a ruling that forces the cars to ride a little bit higher, which costs them performance, but allows them to mitigate the porpoise to a level that is much more comfortable across the board? Because nobody wants to see what we saw with Lewis and nobody wants to see an accident caused by crazy Paul And We haven't had one yet, but how often is it caught in formula one? When we talk about mm-hmm. these things potentially happening, they more often do very, very soon.
0: Well, yeah, they could have a situation. I not sound too dramatic. You could have a situation where a driver passes out from it because of the shock that it's been having on the body. You can't rule that out. It could happen, particularly as we go into the summer where you have, you know, the, the hotter temperatures as well. You have a combination of extreme heat and the porpoise, that could have some serious effects on the body. It could go on to also cause a serious accident. So it's something that needs to be considered, and this is exactly why I want to be seeing what, the, you know, what other fans think of it because it really is a debate that needs to be had now.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Um, let's talk about the driving from the Mercedes drivers. George Russell, a very quiet race. He said at the start of the race, P5 was the best you probably could have hoped for on merit. Ended up taking advantage of reliability issues from the two Ferraris and got himself another podium. So once again, another great performance from George Russell. His consistency seems to know no bounds right now. He seems to be uh, Mr. Consistent, Mr. Sunday, if you like. He's been fantastic so far, Mercedes. And also, we should put special praise on Sir Lewis Hamilton as well, because obviously qualifying didn't go as well for him as it did for George Russell. But in the race... He was pegged back a little bit because of the double stack that Mercedes did on the virtual safety car, but he managed to fight his way through, got stuck behind Esteban Ocon, and I think the last thing he would have wanted to see on a street circuit after Monaco was the back end of another Alpine, but he was patient, found his moment to pass that bus of an Alpine that Esteban Ocon was driving, and made a few great overtakes as well to get past Pierre Gasly as well and Fernando Alonso to get all the way back up to P4. So overall, Corny... Damage limitation very much is the key for Mercedes, but I think they'll be delighted with that result.
0: Well, 100%. I think if, if the performance was to sort itself out, they'd be in the moment for the championship. I think both drivers are right. Like, look, don't have to say anything about Lewis Hamilton. I think he's the stats say it all with Lewis. But George Russell is proven to be a real asset to that Mercedes team. And I, I still believe that they have the strongest driver pairing on the entire grid. So if they have the car to back it up, they would be a formidable force.
1: It certainly remains to be seen how that would work if everybody had uh, or if Mercedes were in the fight with Red Bull and Ferrari but uh, I certainly can't argue that they're doing the best that they can to limit that and their drivers particularly George Russell as well and uh, you know the bad luck Lewis has had I think he did a great job today all things considered and yeah so no fair play to them well done on their part let's talk about AlphaTauri now got to say Corny AlphaTauri I hope that they might do well and I am so glad collectively, the performance was good. Yuki Tsunoda was very unlucky towards the end of the race, but he was in a solid points position. But Pierre Gasly, a driver that we all said really needed to put something together. And boy, did he this weekend. A solid P5, a great qualifying performance as well to get into the top six. I don't think there's much more that can be said. This is more Mm -hmm. like 2021-2020 Pierre Gasly coming back. And... Perhaps this is a man that needs to prove something to the rest of the paddock, that this is a guy that they should be looking at now that the Red Bull doors have shut firmly in his face.
0: Well, yeah, you know, you always look at the performance of the car. Obviously, the performance had improved, but then you look at the other way that you judge a driver is their performance compared to their teammate. And Yuki Tsunoda had a great race, but Pierre Gasly still had the better of him. So it just shows that Pierre Gasly did, in fact, have a great weekend. And... We said in in a preview, it's going to be difficult, the options that Pierre Gasly has available to him. But look, if he continues to perform like that, and if you have a look at some of the other drives that could be available at the end of the season, maybe that it, it sort of catch the eye a bit more. You know, a lot could happen. So all Pierre can do is put himself in a position to make himself an option. Performances like this, are gonna make Pierre Gasly an option. You know, Adam, you hit the nail on the head there. It was like the Pierre Gasly of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one because I had my concerns for him at the beginning of the season. He was nowhere. But he seems to have had a big upturn in the form today. And I may that continue.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Come on, Pierre. This is more like it. This is what we right. want to see from him. And hopefully we'll have more weekends. It was a good weekend from Alpha Terry as well. They got the setup right. The car was very quick in the straights. It was good in the corners. All were all round good job from them as a team. However we, must, we obviously have to mention that uh, disappointing for Yuki Tsunoda, a driver that we would praised this season, and equally did a very, very good job this weekend overall. He qualified uh, in P8, two places behind his teammate. He ran a very solid race, didn't really make any mistakes, but unfortunately, owing to a damaged rear wing, which only half of it was opening on the DRS and had broken off in half at the back of it, he was massively compromised. He got the black and orange flag, forced him into the pit lane, and it was unfortunate that they got caught, but that's how it goes sometimes. And as soon as the directors see it, race directors see it, you're going to get pulled in. But what I found incredibly amazing, Courtney, and a tad dangerous to a degree, is that despite all the technological advances that we get in Formula One, the method that, uh, that Alpha Tower used to fix that rear wing was gaffer tape. <laughs> yeah you you really have to have seen it to believe it guys but they put in gaffer tape on his rear wing to try and keep it shut and i just i laughed i thought it was absolutely hilarious fortunately um even though he didn't get pulled in to retire the car because i thought they were going to black flag him after that uh-huh. when they sent him out he managed to keep going on a set of soft tires only managed to get p13 in the end so wasn't able to overtake because he didn't have the drs but uh other than that It was another good drive from Yuki Tsunoda. It was just very unfortunate that he wasn't able to take home points because he was running in a solid P7 at the time.
0: Yeah, I that like the old incident with the gaffer tape on the rear wing, it actually reminded me of something that we'd do at the farm if our vehicle was to our problems. So that's, that's a farmer's <laughs> method. Or twine. Maybe, maybe they should use bailing twine next time. This um, is advice from a city farmer. Well,
1: there's a room for yeah. you in Formula One yet, Courtney, by the sounds of it.
0: <laughs> bailing twine is the innovation of the future. Trust me, F1 fans. But yeah, it's, it, it just shows, though, like the disappointment in UK says it all because it just it, it is it's an indication of how strong his weekend was up until that moment. Um, I I think the signs are encouraging for them, but it's just something about these red Bull cars, aren't they? With the, uh, with the bad rear wings. I think, I think there's a, I think there's a pun in there somewhere, but I don't want to get myself sort of done for plagiarism or something along those lines. So red Bull and bad rear wings. That's all I'm saying.
1: Mm, Yeah. Something (laughs) in there somewhere, but I think we'll leave that to the comments section to sort that out. But no, as I said, good job (laughs) for Malfa It was a nice haul of points, which Moved them ahead of Haas in the Constructors' Championships. They're up to P7 now, of course. Still got a little bit way to go with Alpine and Alfa Romeo in the mix. But no, it was a good job for them all together. So I think they'll be pretty happy with that result. Let's talk about Sebastian Vettel and Aston Martin. Um, I mean, Lance Stroll had a bit of a nightmare in today. Cr- crashed out twice in qualifying. Obviously retired again today. Not much to be said on his weekend, probably one that he would like to forget. They had to retire the car with some technical issues, so uh, shame for him. But Seb Vettel, mm-hmm. a potential candidate for driver of the day, in some people's minds, I think that's certainly fair. The only downside is that that mistake that he made when mm-hmm. not completing that overtake from uh, Fernando Alonso prevented him from probably getting P4 or 5 But a solid P6 nonetheless from Vettel. And, uh, yeah, it it just solidifies someone's popular corner. You're getting text messages.
0: Looks like it. I don't know why we're... The audio issues seem to be continuing.
1: Yeah, sorry about that, guys. We'll have to try and see if we can edit that out if you're hearing them. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, on the subject of Seb Vettel, um, yeah, it just seems to be solidifying the the surge in form that he's got at the moment. He Mm -hmm. seems to be driving very well. And another solid points finish for Seb. Do
0: you know what? I... About that mistake he made, right? Again, you know, what I was saying about how Charles Leclerc saved it well. What a great save that was from Sebastian Vettel! He knew, he knew that that's a really bad place to sort of go off, and you could lose so much time within milliseconds. He went, he, he sort of went off and spun it around. I, 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 look, I understand that, that these guys are supremely talented, but I was actually genuinely impressed. I, I think that was the greatest moment of skill in that entire race. Yeah, you think about uh, how tight because it like there is that distortion with the TV cameras about like how wide or how big the distances are when you watch it on TV. But if you just actually go to that circuit, that's a really tight space, and he managed to sort of do like a mini donut in that tight space. I really think that moment didn't get the recognition it deserved, and it, it just shows that Sebastian Bell is getting his confidence back. Yeah, he made the mistake, but he must have loved being driving up against these old rivals in um, Fernando Alonso and. Lewis Hamilton, and that's the type of motivation that he's going to need to keep him in F1 because I still think Sebastian Vettel does have um, moments to offer in F1. And I think his performance today was testament to that.
1: Yeah, he looked very good all weekend. He qualified well also, and yeah, I must admit that was, uh, despite the mistake that he'd made, he recovered that absolutely brilliantly. It was, like, it was perfect. It was like a bit of a risk where it could have gone horribly wrong, but he held it well, got himself back on... Timed it perfectly because he was a bit close to Sonoda as Sonoda was approaching turn three at that point but he managed to save it rather well it cost him ultimately probably one place maybe two maybe Lewis Hamilton would have got him towards the end of the race not sure but he did a good job nonetheless and a solid p6 I think Aston Martin would be delighted I think Vettel would be delighted and there's something so pure and wholesome about Seb Vettel doing well in Formula One and I think a lot of you will agree that we want to see more of that from Seb. We want to see Aston Martin in the fight a bit more as well. And right now Seb is doing a great job of that. So long may that continue. Alpine. The buses of Street Circuits. you
0: know Truly.
1: Yes, the Truly <laughs> trains of old. We've seen well, there's got to be a clever name in there for Alpine at some yeah. point. The Alpine Express, I don't know. We'll get you get them in the comments, guys. I want to see what the best ones are for those. If you've got a creative pun mind on you, yeah, do try to weigh in on that. But P7 for Alonso, P10 for Alcon. Both drivers and the team were experimenting on very skinny rear wings, which they admitted would not be great in qualifying, but would be in the race. Alonso got into the top 10 in qualifying and drove a very good race, to be honest. Um, I don't know if the gamble paid off massively, but I think if you'd have offered them P7 and P10, I think they'd have been happy with that. So... And it's good to see Alonso back in uh, the big points now. He seems like a driver that should be in there more often than he has been this season. And yet, you look at the points totals, and it's not been that impressive. So, good stuff from those guys today.
0: Yeah, well, I think Fernando Alonso's been quite unlucky throughout the season. So that's the kind of that that that's the sort of level we're expecting Fernando Alonso to be finishing with the with the package that he has. So. I think they would be happy with that, but I think they'll be wanting more of that. And I think Fernando Alonso in particular will be wanting to push that team towards being the championship contender. I personally don't think that will be possible in the sort of lifespan of Fernando Alonso's career. It could be a long-term project for Alpine, but I think we're talking at least the next five years. I think the likes of Red Bull, um, Ferrari and maybe even Mercedes, I still feel that those teams are in a league of their own. I think this year was an opportunity for Alpine to catch up, but they haven't quite done it. But I think yeah. Fernando, generally speaking, will be happy with where the team are.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I, um, it, it's hard to sort of tell where Alpine are going in relation to the ultimate achieving the ultimate goals of what Alonso would want. I'm not sure how possible that's going to be in the time that Alonso has in his F1 career. But the motivation and the drive is still there. The speed is still there. He's able to keep up with these young guns. And furthermore to that, we should congratulate Fernando Alonso, who's now set the new record for the longest career duration of any Formula One driver in history. He's recently passed Michael Schumacher's record of 21 years and three months and eight days or something like that. So a phenomenal achievement from Fernando Alonso. Congratulations. Still life in the old dog yet. And uh, I it'll take some doing to see anyone sort of break that record. I don't think you're going to see many drivers hang around for 21 years. I mean, maybe Max Verstappen, but even if he does, he'll be as old as what Lewis Hamilton is uh, to some degree as well. So... Yeah, it's going to be a while before we see anyone get anywhere near that. So, you know, well done for Fernando Alonso. And yeah, hopefully many more magic moments from him to come. We'll have to wait and see. Let's look at McLaren's day. I would say this has been a good day for McLaren because on merit, on pace, they uh, they both didn't qualify in the top 10, 11th and 12th, Norris and Ricardo respectively. But they finished 8th and 9th. Positions were reversed. A little bit of confusion on the strategy and some team orders. We had a moment in the race where Ricardo was stuck behind Lando, but Lando was on a different strategy. But the team wanted him to try and overcut Alonso, which ultimately didn't work, which held Ricardo up. And then later on in the race, involved with the same driver, Ricardo was holding Norris up, who was on much faster tyres. And Norris wanted to get past Danny Rick. And the team said to him, no, we want him to try and have a go at Alonso. They didn't swap positions, finished 8th and ninth. So McLaren, by their own admission, felt they were going to struggle this weekend. They were very happy with 8th and ninth, Courtney what did you make of McLaren's weekend? Would you agree that it was a good weekend for them?
0: Again, yeah, I think given the the package that the team had to offer, up, probably, I think (laughs) my prediction of Lando Norris winning was completely thrown out the window. I had to to give that a little mention. But I think the most intriguing thing from McLaren this weekend was that it's the first time we've actually seen a bit of needle between Lando Norris and one of his teammates. Because you had, obviously, the whole thing of... uh, you know, Daniel was complaining Lando was holding him up, and then obviously towards the end of the race, I think if Lando Norris had a couple more laps in him, I think he'd have gone for the overtake. You know,
1: Well, he very did, yeah.
0: Mm. And it, despite being told by the team that we want to hold to hold a position, I do think Lando would have gone for that overtake. So that's the first time in Lando's career there was sort of seen that ish, that inter team issue, and we're going to be seeing more of that because Daniel Ricciardo is fighting for his for his career. Let's be honest. He knows that, and he's put in a better performance this weekend. So obviously he wanted to beat his teammate because you, the first reference of an F1 driver is your teammate, and he's beaten Lando this weekend. So Daniel Ricciardo had to do that for his confidence. So you've got one guy that's fighting for his F1 career and then another guy that wants to be the number one driver because they all want to be and potentially be in a World Championship car. So they're both going to be fighting for a lot. So if this trend continues we might see a little bit of ag between the two drivers going forward.
1: Yeah, and and do you know what? I'm absolutely fine with that. I mean, as long as it's mm. respectful, but this has kind of come about this weekend because Daniel Ricciardo put himself in the position where he was competing with his teammate. This wasn't a case of Lando was held back. Daniel mm-hmm. moved forward. He made the step up this weekend. And yeah. this is a circuit where he's got a lot of fond memories. You know, he was one of the first winners here. Uh, He's been on the podium a few times. This has been a good track to him with the exception of when he collided with Max Verstappen when they were teammates at Red Bull. We'll move that one to one side. But this was a good weekend for Daniel Riccardo. This was more like him. He was all right pace wise in qualifying. Same as Lando. It didn't really work out, but he was very close to him as well. The two of them were together. They were together practically the whole race on the track and this is what McLaren want to see from both the guys. They need Ricardo in the fight with his teammate. They're not going to take points off of each other. We didn't see that today. Perhaps you could argue Lando could have let Ricardo go after Alonso or vice versa toward the end. I think, for all intents and purposes, I think we can agree that the chances are Alonso would have held them both anyway. I don't think there was enough time for them to make an impact on Alonso, but the fact that Ricardo was there, he didn't fall away. He kept to his strategy, he kept his pace up, he looked comfortable. To a degree, you know, he was having some poor issues as well, but he looked a lot better. I really hope that this is the start of some momentum that he can take going forward, which is not only going to be invaluable to himself but to the team as well. This was more like the Ricardo that we know and love, and he seemed to be enjoying himself out there despite all of that. So hopefully, long may that continue. Courtney, final words on Ricardo? Was this a little bit more like the normal Danny? I know I've praised him a lot already, but mm-hmm. what were your thoughts on Ricardo's performance today? Were you happy with that one?
0: Absolutely. But look, I, I think any sort of anyone with a heart that follows F1 wants to be keeping Danny Ricciardo in the sport. Not only for, for what he offers on the circuit, but for what he offers off it. I really think he's great for F1 as a brand. And as a spectator, I just love seeing him. So I'm really, really hoping he, he sustains this. But that's what he needs to do. It's, it's all when a good doing over one race, but he needs to be, continuing with this level performance and it also helps the team move forward if you've got both drivers on form it helps with the development of the car so yeah let's see if it continues
1: yeah absolutely um we'll run off the final few teams now their performances i'll just have a little bit of a word on those um alfa romeo bit of a strange one they seemed absolutely nowhere this weekend although it Mm. must be said joe guan Yu was driving relatively well until he had those technical difficulties it was a real shame for him bottas just didn't look fast at all. This was a guy that had uh, won the first Grand Prix in Azerbaijan and he'd led the race. He'd led more laps around this circuit than anyone else. So this was a good track for him, but he just seemed quite nowhere. So shame for Alfa Romeo. Any thoughts on those on those races today?
0: Just, i just, I just think it adds to the concerns that it was another Ferrari power car that was having issues, really.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, Williams, Albon 12th, Latifi 15th. Strange one because... Albon, we hardly saw him at all Mm -hmm. in this race. I don't really know at any point the race director cut to Albon. If there was a shot where he was in focus somewhere, but very quite Yeah, maybe. I mean, he drove all right. P12, I think he'd be happy with that. Albon, again, it was another solid performance from him. The car's not very quick, but he seems to be getting the most out of it. Latifi, a bit of a strange one for him. Got a stop-go penalty because one of his mechanics came on uh, too close towards the end. I think it was like, within the 15 seconds before they went away for the formation app just to roll his car back into his grid sh- in grid slot for the life of me. I have no idea why they did that because I know they was saying, I know someone was saying, Oh, well he was too far up his grid slot. And I thought, what's the formation app? Do the FAA really care? You know, it, 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 was such a silly thing, ruined his race. And, uh, then of course he got, uh, reprimanded. Did he get a penalty for ignoring blue flags? I know he got noted. Yeah, I it. think, I think,
0: I think, did he have another five
1: seconds added on, Yeah, it might have been something silly like that for ignoring blue flags. Um, Yeah, very, very strange at the time there. So, yeah, not the best day for Williams, but I think you'd have offered him 12th and 15th outright. They probably would have taken it. And then you've got Haas. Kevin Magnussen Mm. was on the fringe of the points, was battling away with... um, Was it Yuki Tsunoda or someone like that? And then obviously yeah, yeah, and then his engine gave up. The Ferrari power units are disappointing for him. And then Mick Schumacher, a driver who, again, we hardly saw at all in this race. And I'll be honest with you, mate, I think this was one of those races where Mick Schumacher probably was a little bit concerned and down about what's been going on lately, that he just wanted to finish the race. Didn't really see anything from him in performance at all. His teammate looked completely to have the measure of him. And it looked like Mick Schumacher just wanted to just do the race and get out of there right now. It seems his confidence had been completely shot this weekend.
0: Yeah, and that's the, this was one of the races where if Schumacher was to make a statement, it had to be done. You had both Ferraris go out. You had, uh, you had I, think like, I think I've i had like five DNS in total. Could be wrong. I think it was like four or five DNS overall. We certainly got the, the
1: heaviest... Um, Damage bill, repair bill against his name. This oh no, season. no, no!
0: Sorry, I mean, I mean in the actual like this race you had. Oh right, right, PNS. right, right. Yes. So yeah. this this was this was the type of race where he had an opportunity to potentially get to the points like Kevin Magnussen was, ironically, before he broke down. And I think it's a real missed opportunity for Mick Schumacher. And I know you love him, Adam, but, You know, be Michael Schumacher's son and everything. But I now have serious concerns for his future because right now he's not performing well enough at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have helped his confidence when Gunther Steiner came out with the comments that he made. Although justified, it must be said that Mick needs to concentrate on not crashing the car. We're not at a point now, even with a budget cap, Haas are not a team that can afford to be wasting money to fix repairs rather than develop the car, because that's money that's going to come out of that. And it's a team that, whilst financially they're okay at the moment, this is not a good look when you're being touted more as someone that's just crashing the car rather than showing off the performance and pace that... A lot of people that have followed his career know that he has. So, yeah, as I said, it definitely felt like a weekend where Mick just wanted to get round and finish. I don't think he wanted to push or try anything. Hopefully you have better weekends to come. But there seemed to be one Huss fighting and that one got taken out owing to reliability issues. Another Ferrari power unit failure. I mean, Lee mentioned in the group chat that there could be an issue with the temperature conditions of the race. It was on a bit earlier than it was qualifying yesterday, might have affected Ferrari. We had a hot day at Barcelona where Leclerc had his reliability issues. So maybe there are cooling issues with these Ferrari power units. And it's quite interesting because Ferrari have gone with a completely new concept on power unit design for this season. You know, they didn't adopt the twin turbo solution that Mercedes had championed from the start of the Turbo Herod era. Honda had adopted and obviously mastered that as well in their own rendition. And now Alpine have taken their own version, which they claim is actually quite decent as well. Ferrari have gone a different way on concept. From what we're seeing right now, Corny, that could prove, whilst it looked like to be a game changer at the start of the season, it's now looking like it could be a complete mis- misjudgment altogether.
0: It was always always the gamble that Ferrari were willing to, to make. I think after the whole controversy in was it 2019? I think it was 2019 when they got completely pegged back oh. over a, alleged something illegal about the
1: engine. That's right. So yeah.
0: after they, the, the whole thing of Ferrari was discussed this so many times that they had to make a statement, but like but in a the long term, they had to make a, a long term commitment to getting back to the front. So they've had to take risks along the way. And it goes back to what I was saying about Ferrari at the beginning of the episode. It's it's, like, it's a very, very raw, it's a new concept, it's a raw concept. And reliability was always going to be the concern. And it's another thing you said about the calling. That's what I mean. Maybe they can make changes to their cars around calling, but then is that going to have an effect on performance? So we're ending the episode with the gun. This is the conundrum that Ferrari are going to be facing, which could have real implications, not only for them, but for their customer teams in the coming years.
1: Well, the more cooling that you, well, you force on a car creates more drag and that's going Mm -hmm. to affect performance. And that's something that Ferrari needs to try and mitigate as much as possible, which is not going to make it any easier. I mean, it could play a part with the upgrades, as you mentioned, but then obviously other teams are having these problems too. We saw Valtteri Bottas have power unit issues in Jeddah. We saw the Hasses have some other issues as well themselves. So it, it could potentially be a fundamental issue with this new concept. And unfortunately, unlike previous years gone by, Ferrari are going to be very, very limited in what they can do to improve that situation. This is something that, unless there's a way to get around it, it could plague them for the next four years. And that is not something that you want when you've built a car right now that's capable of winning world championships and races. We know it's good enough, but what's powering it right now is not good enough to finish a race let alone you know it, it's it's crazy but anyway look we've talked about this long enough guys as always as we said if you've enjoyed what you've seen from us or what you've heard from us in this case being a podcast don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel we've got our Canadian Grand Prix preview coming this Thursday with a special guest we've got Deanna otherwise known as Relapped coming on to preview the Canadian Grand Prix with us and uh, I certainly cannot wait for that and of course we've got our quality live stream which Courtney has volunteered to join us for that one and we might have another guest on as well for that one so that's certainly going to be fun but uh until next time guys we hope you're well please stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast and remember if you're not first you're probably dnf1 take care see you soon Podcast Network.